school leaders are feeling that same pressure because they don't actually get to fail. In fact, no one in our school system gets to fail. We say like, oh, you learn from fail, like from failure, you should fail forward. But there is absolutely nothing in our K-12 system that allows anyone in it to do that. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, we are super excited because we get to have conversations with some of the world's most innovative leaders in the world of education. And it's a lot of fun to have these conversations. And today we're actually going to talk about um, global citizenship in a variety of different ways through a really, really cool program called World Savvy. And joining us to sort of lead us down that road and that path is Dana Mortensen, um, who is the co-founder and chief executive officer of World Savvy, which is a national education nonprofit working to educate and engage youth as responsible global citizens. So uh, Dana, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Annalise. It's great to be here. So joining Dana is KK Nyman, um, who is World Savvy's Director of Professional Learning. And um, one of the things I love actually about KK's bio is that not only has she been working in education for 20 years, but in that 20 years, she managed to teach social studies um, to every grade between the fifth and 12th grade. That alone is something to celebrate. So welcome to the program, KK. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. So um, I'm super excited about this conversation because it's really clear as I started digging into finding out what the heck is this thing called World Savvy, um, that as an organization, World Savvy is really, really aligned sort of to my own mission um, and and heart, if you will, um, really around recognizing um, that we need something different. And there are a number of different ways that we can find ourselves and we can get there. Um, But bottom line is, you know, as we sort of traverse the opportunities for students, for teachers, and for our communities, um, we can think about teaching and learning and the opportunities that come through that very, very differently. So Dana, as co-founder of World Savvy, let's let's start with the why. Why this thing? Yeah. So World Savvy, we're entering our 21st year. Um, Congratulations. Just for context. Yeah. Thank you. So we um, sort of came into the world um, just after 9-11. My co-founder is Bangladeshi and she's actually back, Madiha Murshad, she's back in Dhaka running one of the largest networks of schools there that was founded by her mother in the 70s. Um, And the two of us um, sort of came together with very different experiences of of K-12 education. She had attended a United World College in Singapore. I was educated in public schools in New Jersey, K through 12. And my experience of learning about the world and about the competencies necessary to thrive in a diverse and changing world was very different than hers. Um, My experience, I would say, um, while I went to great schools, was much more what I'd call sort of the four Fs, the food, you know, food, food, flags, festivals, and fashion, and a much more shallow 
way of looking at you know my community and the world outside my community. And one that was really pivoted around understanding, memorizing facts and memorization of content. And when I met Madiha, who had had a very different learning experience uh, across the world that, that was also steeped in an incredibly diverse environment and in the wake of 9-11, it was a turning point for me as a product of the U.S. education system and for her, who was had spent quite a number of years here in the U.S., that the world was changing pretty profoundly and that the way we had organized K-12 around rote memorization and around sort of um, centering content over competencies couldn't necessarily properly prepare young people for a future that was unpredictable, that was changing rapidly, that where a workforce was, um, you know, more than likely my kids will have a job that doesn't exist now, right? And so teaching technical knowledge towards that end seems futile, right? When you you need young people to have the skills that prepare them for change. Uh, and apart from that, what it looks like to be civically engaged in a multi-ethnic democracy when communities across, I'll speak from where I'm sitting um, in the United States, are changing really dramatically. Demographic diversity, wherever you live, people are on the move, right? So more than likely, you're going to be in a culturally diverse classroom. You're going to be a culturally diverse community. You're going to be in a workforce that requires different kinds of um, skills that around collaboration and communication toward that end. Uh, and then lastly, the why really, you know, the third thing that we thought a lot about is the kinds of challenges that the global community is confronting and that we therefore confront in our backyard are completely unprecedented in to the degree of their interconnected interconnectedness and complexity. I grew up in sort of a Cold War era when, you know, the U.S.-Russian conflict and this binary way of looking at the world was what we spent most of our time thinking about. And now, ask any Gen Z or younger what's on their mind. They're thinking about the ravages of climate change. They're thinking about poverty. They're thinking about living through a pandemic that reached every corner of the globe. So the why for World Savvy was really about how do we re- sort of re-examine, interrogate a bit, and understand in a new light what education needs to be from the standpoint of its purpose to prepare young people for that future with all mm -hmm. its uncertainties and all its complexities. Yeah, absolutely. I love that so much um, because we desperately, desperately need exactly what you're doing. So um, that's awesome. So so KK, so let's sort of bring this um, back around just a little bit. Um, what brought you to World Savvy? I know that from, um, you know, um, going through your materials, you know, that some of your work prior to was um, thinking about and working sort of in the space tied to what lots of folks will refer to as global competencies. But I'm really curious sort of what 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 brought you to this organization and what about this work excites you? Absolutely. So when I I was getting my master's in education the same year or just right before World Savvy was founded. So this organization was in its infancy just as I too was entering the classroom for the first time. And for me it really helped to solidify what my mission was going to be as an educator. This idea of presenting to me a different, this idea that teaching isn't about just getting kids to understand facts or passing tests, because this was also a really, it was a point in our history where testing was all of a sudden absolutely paramount. And that isn't an inspiring vision for a young educator or any educator for that matter. And so for me, 
thinking about my role as one that can prepare the students in front of me to be active and engaged citizens, to think about what they're going to need, not just to pass my course or for to prepare them for next year, but to really think about that 35-year-old and the kind of person that I thought the world needed and that they needed to be in order to thrive in the world. That was the exact mission that I needed to motivate myself because it's a hard job. And so I do think finding that mission is really important. So one thing that I've loved about getting to work here is when in my profession as a teacher, when I'm not, when I haven't been in the classroom, I've been working at World Savvy. And so, and then when I haven't been working here, I've been a teacher in World Savvy programs. And so I really have gotten to experience this work from every angle and getting to come back here now after so many years of taking world savvy resources and embedding them into my teaching practice and using it as the foundation for the conversations that I have with students, that I have with families, how I organize my grade book. It's been really wonderful to get to come back here in this new role and start to think about how we really support teachers and schools across the country to do that. Because I don't know that at least in my 20 plus years in education that it's ever felt like teachers need something new because I'm not sure we've ever asked more of teachers than we are right now. And so providing a new and inspiring idea of what education can be, I think has never been more important on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think most people would agree, right? We the the load and the lift right now is is pretty epic um, from so many different yeah. sort of strategic angles that you could take a look at that. You know, Dana, I um, I want to dig into a, some of this a little bit. One of the things that KK referenced a couple of times um, was this idea of support, and you know, one of the things um, that World Savvy um, you know focuses on um, are sort of those three critical levels of the integrating the idea of global competency. And we're going to come back to that again in a, in a minute. I've got more questions on that space. But I, I'm really interested in sort of the way you think about the student engagement and the teacher capacity and school leadership, all of those elements from that sort of support perspective. And, and so how yeah. does that work um, with World Savvy? Yeah. So from the start, I think we we operated un, under the sort of the assumption, and I would say the premise that there's no silver bullet. I think education, more than a lot of other spaces, when you read about it or when you when people talk about it outside education, it's often like, well, if you just had a strong leader, exactly. or if the teachers were just right. And mm-hmm. the reality is the the landscape of teaching and learning and and K twelve education is so complex, and that there's not just one lever. And context matters. It matters where you're teaching. It matters. Who is your community of students and parents and families? Um, you know, what what is the context that you're, the cultural and political context that you're teaching in, particularly important here in the U.S. now. And so when we set out this idea of kind of a wraparound holistic support was a nod to that, a nod to the idea that there are many, many stakeholders in the process that matter and that single interventions, no one goes to, uh, you know, no adult learner goes to one workshop um, is inspired by it, and then from that single interaction is able to completely transform their entire practice. It would be an unrealistic ask, right? It doesn't work that way in adult learning or, or frankly, 
in any kind of learning. And so the model was set up to say, this is a journey. It's There's not necessarily an endpoint where it's a you checked a box and you are globally competent. The work is never done. But it is about building the systems and the structures where the capacity for educators, not just to pull curriculum, but to change their pedagogy and be able to center the things that, you know, for most educators is the really meaningful stuff, right? Relationships with students, classroom environments that promote creativity and inquiry um, and ideating and problem solving and independence. Um, So the way the model looks, and I'll let KK speak more to that, is at the teacher level, really supporting um, looking at practice, looking at pedagogy, providing anchor workshops that model what it looks like to teach for global competence, but then walking alongside educators, all of whom are inspiring and very talented in their own right, but to our earlier point, are pressured in innumerable ways, um, uh, you know, in the in the current environment to help them implement that, to help them make meaning of it and, and to, to make shifts in the classroom. The student experience at, at the core is we do that and then we support leadership to help them institutionalize this, right? I think ed- every educator listening has been subjected to initiative fatigue, to the, you know, invariably, if you're in a public school system in the U.S., you've got a new superintendent every three to five years, a new strategic plan, a new thing that's important, a shiny, you know, shiny new toy that everyone has to focus on. And that is incredibly hard um, to track and to have the stamina to, to move through with any kind of enthusiasm and positivity. So a lot of what we do in our partnerships and with leaders is to try and make this model one that's pendulum proof, because it's really about how do you set up a model for teaching and learning that is future proof, right? It carries you through the inevitable change that's going to come, whether that's a change in the student population in your school, it's a change in the world, it's a state change in community, it's chat GPT, it's whatever technological advance or other things have come your way without sort of taking hairpin turns that don't allow a through line um, for high quality teaching and learning. And then ultimately, the work with teachers and leaders is in the service of changing the student learning experience, right? So that is inquiry-based. It's centering students. It's providing opportunities for them to grapple with things that are meaningful to them in their community and in the world, and to build the agency and to have authentic audiences to share their perspectives and what they think. Um, you know, KK mentioned she's both been an educator in our, you know, in our programs and then now is sort of designing those experiences so can speak to sort of what does that look like. But the importance of touching on all these pieces is a nod to this is hard, messy work and it's complex. And I think too often in education, there is, you know, whether that's in philanthropy or whether it's in folks that sort of on the sideline like to analyze and potentially criticize why education is failing students in, in any innumerable ways, is that this it, it's complicated, right? There isn't one thing that's going to fix all the woes. Um, and so I think that's, that's the reason for that holistic model. It's the reason for the approach. It's... Um, it's also a nod to, you know, any any transformation, and KK really coined this phrase for our organization, but it's not about the big strategic plan. It's about the, the thousands of small moves. And so we see ourselves as partners that help leaders and educators create a North Star and then continue to make those small moves in the direction of centering this in teaching and learning. But maybe I'll pass the mic to KK because I think she can bring to life what that sort of multi-tiered strategy looks like when it's starting to change what teaching and learning looks like. 
Yeah, I think that folks will be really um, anxious to hear, KK, sort of the nuts and bolts. So how does the model or the program actually work? So, you know, we've we've talked about the the theory behind it, but really now, what does it look like? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So our comprehensive school partnerships are something that we design collaboratively with the school districts mm-hmm. with whom we work. Because as Dana mentioned, context matters and everyone is different. And we really do believe just like a great teacher meets their students where they are, the same is true in this case. We want to be sure we're designing the services and support that honor where the school and the district is and helps them move forward in the way that is best for their community, their teachers, for their students. And But the idea is a real combination of We have a handful of workshops that provide some shared learning experiences throughout each year so that people can come together, learn together, and brainstorm together and plan. One of the things I remember of being in the classroom is how little planning time you have, especially with your colleagues. And if we are looking to embed global competence into teaching, learning, and school culture, It's not enough for just one teacher to feel passionately about this work and to transform their own classroom. This has to happen across a building and across a district. So creating these shared experiences that let folks have those touch points with one another is really important. And then in between there is our instructional coaching. And this is one of the more, I think, invaluable parts of our work because It's a heavy lift to change one's practice. And so to have a coach that is not evaluative, the work that we do with teachers doesn't impact, nothing's going in their personnel file. We're, you know, we're not tied to their pay. It's purely supportive. And so it's a combination of observations, of planning. We provide resources. We collaborate on the design of learning experiences. We offer a space for, you know, one of the things that we like to, it's sort of, how do we just keep moving forward? You have to try the thing, you have to talk about how it went, and then you have to try it again. That it's this constant back and forth and iteration. And so that's what we see ourselves there to support teachers with. That here's a safe space. Let's try something. What do you want me to look for? Let's do it. And then let's break it down and see how it went, how we might change, what we might do differently. And so as we partner with districts and schools, which we do over the course of a handful of years, ideally it's a three-year partnership. And we really think of it too as this, this might not be the best metaphor in light of our global pandemic, but it is sort of a shot in the arm. It is this big boost of support and energy that we can provide to schools in the hopes that Not that when you're done working with us that everyone feels like an expert. And as as Dana said, we don't check the box, but that we have built capacity within a building, that we have built energy and enthusiasm so that when we step back, this work continues. And it's the kind of support that a school and a district doesn't need in perpetuity. You don't need someone with that kind of support for your teachers and administrators long term. So Getting to have us there for just a handful of years to really get this work off the ground, I think, is a is very helpful in helping schools move in the direction that they want to move in. When, you know, Dana and I have been traveling around for the last two years having conversations with school leaders and teachers all over, and 
we never talk to someone who doesn't think this is important, who doesn't see the value, who doesn't want the students in their district or in their classroom to have meaningful experiences that are going to help them in their life after school. Everyone wants it. And so being able to just offer the support so that we can operationalize our missions and visions, that we can take those profiles of a graduate and make them mean something is that is what we see as the role we can play inside schools and districts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate the, the sort of thinking about the, the, the support based, you know, on that three year, um, sort of component. We we do that too. Ours is three, five, or seven, right? And that's because we're talking about culture shift here. That's really at the heart of what you're talking about, right? This is culture shift. Yes, there's there's the mindset components. Yes, there's the pedagogical components. But at the end of the day, you're trying to change the culture of what is going on in that building, right? Or in that district or in that community. And culture shift takes time. You cannot do it as a one-off. And honestly, you can rarely even do it in three, right? You can, but but not always. You've got to have all in to be able to do that in that time period um, because sustainability and capacity and long-term planning all sort of play a role in the the, the culture shift piece. I am I'm super curious. I'm imagining as our, our listeners are sitting back and I think that we're kind of to the point in the conversation where, you know, a really tangible example would be super useful. So, through this program and through the work that's happened in the schools, give give me give me an example of an actual project or a thing, right? That is 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 being done um, in a in a classroom as a result of um, the the coaching and the support that comes from World Savvy. And either one of you can take that on. Yeah, for sure. And you know, just to point out, so that you know, for some clarity, one of the things, as you rightly said, we're talking about a culture shift. And so what we're always looking for in the schools with whom we work is how do we move this not just from the project, but to our everyday, the way that we interact in school in all the everyday ways. And so to give you some examples, we're here in Minneapolis and we partner with a K-8 school here. We are just finishing our full second year. Our first year partnership was during COVID, which was obviously tricky. But we've now had two full years with some amazing professional learning facilitators working there with all their teachers, K through eight. And it is amazing to me how we are starting to see this amazing culture shift. So a couple of examples. One is when you go through, if you were to walk through their school for parent-teacher conferences, what you would see is students as young as kindergarten sitting with their families talking about the various competencies that they are practicing and what they look like. So even children are using the language of global competence and families are now using the language of global competence too. So that when we talk about choosing empathy or demonstrating humility or asking questions that lead to further inquiry, and we have ways of making this language elementary friendly. Uh, so that might not be the exact language that a six-year-old uses, but they do talk about, I'm working on this and this is what it looks like. And so the families are too shifting their idea of what success in a classroom looks like. It's not just the test score that we've changed the and created a much wider range of ways that kids can shine in their classroom. So 
that's just one example. Another example is it's a K-8. Anyone who's worked in a K-8 can understand some very interesting dynamics. There's a huge difference between a second grader and an eighth grader. There's a huge difference between a sixth and an eighth grader. And so our elementary students in fifth grade at this school were feeling a little frustrated about their middle school peers and feeling like they were coming down to their hallway and not showing up in the way that they wanted to. And so they, as a class, designed, they leaned into the skills and competencies that they had been centering. They went up to the eighth grade on sort of an information gathering mission where they leaned in with curiosity and they asked questions and tried to understand where and how eighth graders were feeling and what they cared about. They took this information, they came back, Then they decided to have, they started to design some solutions. So they created these hall monitors whose job it was, was to welcome people to their elementary floor and to try to create sort of this warm, welcoming space. They created more surveys so that they could gather information about what people wanted to see in the halls. They gathered student artwork so that they could celebrate what was happening in the classroom. So just as they, They thought about the kind of community that they wanted. They thought about the skills and dispositions that they were building inside their classroom and how they could model that for their peers throughout their school. So that's an example of how this, we know that learning happens in every corner of a building. And so when we think about global competence, it's how does it show up in the way that you interact with your peers? How does it show up on the walls of your classroom or in and of your building in your hallways. So it's really exciting to me just when I think about how students and families and teachers and school leaders have internalized this language so that now when they are planning lessons, the competencies are up front and they're planning backwards from that. So, okay, I need to cover this content. All right, I'm going to cover this content and here are the skills that I'm going to really practice. And how can I design an experience that both gets kids to explore this content and utilize these skills and dispositions that we're trying to develop? So it really is this way of centering this mission, this idea of these skills and dispositions, and then making sure that you're living it out in all the ways. And, you know, teachers model these things, too, for their students. And This is sometimes hard because we created spaces where we expect teachers to be the experts on everything. And it's a a lot to ask a teacher. It is, right? Because And it's it's not how anybody wants to learn these days, right? It's not relevant and it limits teachers so, so much, right? Teachers have so much to give. And content's just a small yes. piece of it. But this notion that the teacher has to always be the expert really, really limits everybody's potential. It does because it also makes kids, it makes their voices secondary in that space exactly. because they exactly. feel like, well, that's yeah. the expert. So my question or what I'm thinking isn't yeah. nearly as important. But so when you can help and support teachers to sort of flip that, to be the facilitator of learning, to show vulnerability in front of their students. Oh, I don't know the answer to that question. What could we do? Let's find it together. Um, 
when you make one of the things that we talk a lot about when it comes to global competence is this idea that we want students to feel like they're part of something bigger. It's really easy for students to feel alone. It's also really easy for students to feel like what they think and do doesn't matter. And so all the ways that we can help them see like it's not just about you. This is everything you do, this world, you are part of something larger. And one of the great benefits of teachers modeling global competence and making clear that this is a journey we're on together. We're in this together. We're all moving and learning and thinking and asking questions together. That creates a learning community that values curiosity, that honors perspective taking, that is willing to give the time and space that is necessary for that kind of learning to happen. And so when we walk through the halls of Ella Baker, it's really, it's just amazing to see this happening in so many places. Yeah, you know, it's it's great when you finally see student agency first, right? That student-led as opposed to teacher-led environments, and they are incredibly magical, absolutely. So, Dana, I wanna I wanna sort of tap in with you um, for a minute. You're 21 years in on this journey, and the world is changing at a pace that we've never seen before. So what do you, as an organizational leader, as a thought leader in this space, how do you think about what's needed moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think when you're leading an education organization, if you're doing the same thing you were doing 21 years ago um, in a changing world, then then it's worthy of interrogation. Um, so. <clears throat> Um, we have been from the start committed as a learning organization and at our core, global competence, how we define it, the matrix that we designed that is the cornerstone and the foundation of how we understand this work is something that we also apply to our own um, learning and dispositions, right? And so I think that as I think about how has not just education changed, but the world at large changed over the last 21 years, that's really at the center. So how do we lean in with curiosity about what might come next. When something new and fairly monumental um, like ChatGPT comes to disrupt uh, the education system is our knee jerk to say, this is all negative. It's all like, what does it look like to explore that openly with curiosity and understand how it's a much different world and it's a much different way of learning. I mean, both KK and I did not have the internet until we left college. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're not that old, right? right? Neither of us have hit 50 yet. So, I mean, we're getting there. But so just thinking about the pace of that change and trying to keep at the forefront as as I'm leading the organization, as a, and, and honestly, the organization is filled with leaders that do this all the time, thinking, how do you apply that mindset, that way of thinking global in a globally competent way to what comes next, right? To say, how might this new change or new tool be leveraged uh, for good? Um, how might we um, look at the changing world and the changing tools we have to absorb and distill what's happening in it in a way that um, benefits learners and places them in the best position? Um, and I'll admit, I have moments, I don't know if you read this article recently where they're talking about the next sort of iteration of the internet, whereby, you know, now you can Google, you know, how bit I have a Volvo and 
I want to put this bookcase from Ikea in the back of that Volvo. And you can measure your Volvo and then you find out the me- and then you have to go out and you, the, the next iteration of whatever we use in the internet will just be, here's my car and here's the furniture. Tell me if it fits, right? Exactly, it has right. <clears throat> advanced capabilities where, yeah. you know, if you have your sort of uphill mm-hmm. both ways in the snow mindset mm-hmm. on, then you might look at that and say, well, that's the, those are the moments where you had to real world critically think and problem solve and the, but a whole new set of things that require that competency is about to open up. And I think the discipline required as folks who are cooked in whatever stew you were cooked in, right? Whether you went to school pre-internet or you were born in the digital age, um, that's true for all of us. So I think not to be sort of vague about the answer, but I think really it's about leading the organization in the way that we want schools and districts to think about education for a changing world is to be open, to be analytical, to be creative, and to be responsive um, because the world requires it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I really appreciate that because um, same conversations, again, you know, I get to have um, a lot and our, our, our the 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 crew passed the same sort of thing, you know, sort of encountering that and and really helping folks understand that, you know, that the the incredible changes that are coming down the way, those are opportunities, but we have to be willing to seize them as such, right? And to let go of everything um, that we know in many ways and really, really get comfortable in that uncomfortable space of I don't know. Um, because the reality as educators, we cannot possibly know everything that our kids are experiencing, are exposed to, the technologies are coming so fast. And so the reality is the profession as a whole has to be able to shift um, with the excitement in many ways of what the world is bringing, as well as, you know, all the scary pieces, the underbelly of the complexity of being a global society. So, yeah. And not only is I, I the, you know, the other thing I would add to it is that, of course, there's fear there. I mean, I think in the U.S., for global listeners, it's no secret that there's been a tremendous swing in terms of the politicization of what's happening in a K-12 space. And I think where we stand on this is when the world is bigger and more complex and changing more rapidly, then the skills you need are how to open the aperture <laughs> see more of those perspectives and build your ability to think critically about them and distill them, right? And understand them. Because at the end of the day, young people are going to encounter these things that we're trying to keep from them in the world. Um, you know, it's hard to ban books when you have the internet, right? Like there, there are ways around of, uh, there are ways around all these different things. And I think that, um, I think that our reflex and our instinct is to say, in that environment, students need more capabilities. Yep to broaden perspectives and, and, and manage it. Yeah, and absolutely. Go ahead, Kate. Dana, just to add on that too, because, you know, as we've been talking about, one of the things I've been most proud of when it comes to World Savvy is the way that we have adapted and changed over time. And the time I've been involved here, our program has changed dramatically, not because what we were doing at that time wasn't working. It was more that every time we're always thinking about our overall impact. How Okay, so like this is an amazing project. How do we get it out of this like siloed classroom? So, and there's been a lot of freedom for us to do that. But you know, as you talked about how like teachers also are expected to be the sort of experts, school leaders are feeling that same pressure because they don't actually get to fail. 
In fact, no one in our school system gets to fail. We say like, oh, you learn from fail, like from failure, you should fail forward. But there is absolutely nothing in our K-12 system that allows anyone in it to do that. We can't say that failing is okay for students because it's not. We can talk about grading, but it's unfair to tell kids that it's okay to fail in school because every message we send them is opposite of that. Same with teachers. It doesn't feel like you can try something and have it not go well all the time. And school leaders feel the same way. So one of the things we've been working really hard on is to provide some professional learning for school leaders so that they can create a community with other school leaders who are trying to do this work because it's very isolating, this job. And so trying to create these networks of school leaders that are thinking systemically about, okay, if I care about this, what does it mean to design the systems and put these practices in place that support this work long after I leave the building? Because one of the things that we've definitely learned over 21 years is this can't just be the passion project of one person because then when they leave, it leaves with them. You have to think systemically. And so if it's, okay, if I want my teachers to teach in this way, what do they need? And if I want my students to learn in this way, what do they need? And what do we need to be doing across the school and across the district? So that's something too that we're trying to support them with. And also, how do you create a learning community for everyone? How do you bring families and caregivers into this conversation so that everyone can embrace the complexity of this moment? We do not do anyone any service by trying to act like there are easy answers. And while sometimes in the short term, it feels like presenting that is the path of least resistance, we're seeing the impact of that now. We're really living it. And so how do you also get everyone in your community on board with this work? And just like we were talking about teachers and students saying we're in this together, that has to be the message to everyone inside a school community. We are in this together. And this is what it's going to look like moving forward. And it isn't always going to be easy, but this is how we are agreeing to show up with one another and how we're going to be learners in this space. Yeah. Yeah. Great opportunities. Um yeah, I really appreciate that. So ladies, I want to thank you both for taking time um, out of your day to share what's going on um, with World Savvy uh, with all of our listeners. Uh, we will be providing um, links um, and I do hope that our listeners will reach out and that you'll hear from folks um, from this program. Um, I want to thank you both very much, uh, not just for your time, but for what you do. Um, you know, uh, we all know it's it's very, it's difficult work. It's a lot. And and um, it takes all of us rolling up our sleeves and saying, we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're all in. And so thank you for being all in. And certainly thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Annalise. It's been a, a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.